0: Being a math, I, I plotted it all out, if we grow this much. And by the time I retire, we will have grown 70-fold, I predicted. And so that was my goal. And so far, it's been more than 10,000-fold. 10, 10,000
1: is bigger than more 70. More than
0: 10,000. So <laughs> so it blew by that. So 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 it just shows, it shows, I mean, people say, oh, you did this. No, I didn't do it. These principals did it.
1: Charles Koch. Welcome to American Optimist.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Joe. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I always learn something. I I hope you do. Probably not, but I do.
1: We always learn a lot from you. I was just just enjoying your your latest book about believing in people and bottom-up solutions. Your story, in many ways, epitomizes the American dream. You took a small engineering firm and transformed it into one of the country's largest businesses. Can you give us a glimpse into your journey? Where, Where do you want me to start? You said in an interview when you were young that your father said he wanted you to work like you were the poorest person in the world. What, 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 did, what did that mean? <laughs> well,
0: my father or our family was wealthy. My, my, my father was successful. And, and he told me when I was age six that he didn't want me to be a country club bum, as he put it. Mm. So his way of preventing that is to have me work in all my spare time, starting at age six. And so I did all the dirty jobs uh, on the farm, and you can imagine that's plenty. Whether it's milking cows, shoveling manure, uh, digging fence post holes, and uh, feeding the animals, and so on.
1: So, so, you, so, you learned how to work hard when you when you were a kid.
0: Yeah, and and uh, bless his heart, what impressed me is he didn't ask me to do anything that that he didn't do and so it sunk in it it took quite a few years to sink in but but he he exemplified integrity humility treating people with respect a work ethic and being a lifelong learner and this the way he put that the last is son learn everything you can you never know when it will come in handy And on this not being a country club bum, years later, I learned what he meant by that is he wanted me to experience what he called the glorious feeling of accomplishment. And the problem was, is for some reason, I was born with this streak that I wanted to be different. Whatever was current in choice, whatever my friends and others were doing, I wanted to do it differently. And I was no different with my chores. So I was always in, in, in trouble with my father and got plenty of punishment. He was good on the punishment side. <laughs> but the good news is I, didn't, I wasn't bitter about it because I knew I deserved
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I love how you start with the farm with the farm story because it reminds me I'm obviously friends with your son Chase who talks about the formative experience when you sent him away to have to go work hard for a summer on a farm. Yeah, so no, that, that no, was your, that, that was on a feedlot. That, a feed that was even yeah, that's tougher. even tougher. <laughs> that was even tougher.
0: Uh, but but they, as he said that was that was a, a transformative experience that made all the difference as my experience was. But so I thought uh, that the only thing I was good at was getting in trouble and then I but I learned at a fairly early age that I I did have an aptitude, and it was for math and concepts and logic. And I later learned uh, much more about that. But I was frustrated because I didn't know how to apply it. I mean, by the time I graduated from high school, I'd been to eight schools. I wasn't happy. I didn't do well, other than I I always did well in math and, and science, but other things... I was bored and unhappy. And then in all my jobs, I didn't like any of them particularly. So uh, I was kind of wandering in the wilderness, figuring out, trying to figure out what I can do to contribute and succeed and have a fulfilling life. I didn't know all those terms then, but mm-hmm. looking back, that's, that's what I was, uh, I was doing. Finally, about, uh, when I became a junior in college, I started becoming interested in reading and started with uh, with novels. And then I, I said, well, what what am I going to do? And since I was good at math and science, I said, well, okay, I'll be an engineer. And so I, I got into MIT uh, because I had that that facility. Uh, but I soon found that, that I sucked as an engineer. I was a lousy engineer <laughs> because although I was good at the subjects, I took in math and science and and really interested in them. I wasn't uh, good at applying them to make or operate things, were, which is you, what an engineer does. You, 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 it,
1: sounds like, it sounds like you were good at some of the higher-level concepts and some of the philosophy. Absolutely. I having. was
0: good at abstractions but not at applying them to make or operate things. And so when I I finished it, I got three degrees at MIT, and when I finished there, I went to work for a consulting firm in Boston, which was then one of the leading consulting firms, and it consulted on about everything and i got hired to do product development and i wasn't very good at that so but i was looking for a way to find something that i i would enjoy find fulfilling and enable me to accomplish something and i got transferred to process development that was a little better but it still i didn't enjoy that i wasn't that good at it and then i got transferred into management consulting and i got to work on innovation and strategy and stuff like that at age Twenty four, twenty five, which was pretty exciting. So I said, OK, I, I think my best bet is to become an entrepreneur. And the great thing about MIT is that the professors and students uh, were creating business, all kinds of tech businesses. So I said, OK, what my best shot at being an entrepreneur is to get on with one of these companies, invest a, sm- a small amount, and that would be my start. And this was in 1960 or so? This was... Uh, Well, when I I started, yeah, it was about 1960 that I I got into management services. And uh, so I was planning on that, and then my father called me, and he he said, Son, I, I want you to come back and join the company. After my experience working under him, I went by. I said, No, Pop, I want to make my own way, and so thanks. And a short time later, he called me back, and he says, Son, as you know, my health is bad. I don't have long to live, and my health is so poor, I'm not doing a, a our company isn't in very good shape. We're not doing that well. We have two, two main businesses. One was a crude oil gathering system in southern Oklahoma, and another was a company that uh, designed and made internals for distillation columns for refineries and chemical plants. And he says, if you come back, I'll let you run the the, the equipment company, Coke Engineering, any way you want to start with. The only thing you need my approval on is, is if you want to sell it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, OK, I'm not going to get a better entrepreneurial offer than this. So I accepted. And he was absolutely true to the word. He turned everything over uh, to me as fast as I could. But I still and so i i was able to make improvements even as little as little as i knew at that point because it was in such bad shape but i was i felt i was missing something i i just wasn't fulfilled so i said i got to find some principles or concepts or something that will enable me to make a bigger contribution and better differentiate what we're doing and what others
1: are doing. And this, and this, this goes back to your philosophical instincts and bias, the high-level abstraction, you call it.
0: Yeah, the, my, my, uh, my particular gift for abstraction. So I started looking for these, what I call, principles of, of human progress, principles of human fulfillment that I thought could... Uh, enable me to, to make a much bigger contribution and be more successful. And so I started studying all discipline, all relevant disciplines, history to try to find these and in that and then as soon as I would find one, I would go apply it to every part of my life. Mm-hmm. and see, try to see how I could apply it that would enable me to contribute and be more successful.
1: Would, would, would this almost always work, or would it lead to sometimes comical issues as no,
0: well? Some, no, there were plenty of failures. Are you kidding? Me? This was trial and error. Yep. But overall, it worked much better than I ever dreamed. And it wasn't taking, as I would learn a concept or a principle, I wouldn't take it literally. I'd say, okay, how how do I apply it differently in different circumstances? So it was a lot of trial and error and and plenty of error. But overall it it worked. And and I started to believe in myself and feel good about myself and make more progress. And so I became fascinated
1: with this and
0: Mm -hmm. did more and more of that. And
1: and you weren't just, you know, it's it's really interesting, Charles. A lot of people who I look up to in business studied philosophy in in college. Peter Thiel was really into philosophy, still is. Mm -hmm. Alex Karp was a PhD in philosophy who built Palantir with me, and I learned a lot from him. Elon Musk, when I was talking to him last week, was talking about how when he first started college, he was studying philosophy and physics. And so it seems like a lot of these... Men who've been successful, a lot of people have been successful in business, really start with philosophy. You're somewhat unique though. Not only are you a philosopher, but you you actually started writing down and creating concepts like market based management and others. And I haven't seen really anyone else do that in business. What what led you to not only embracing it, but then but then but then kind of lecturing on it and teaching everyone?
0: That turned out to be my gift because a lot of, I mean, okay, I'm pretty, I was pretty good at math and science, but there are a lot of people better than I was. Mm -hmm. But, and we got professors to try to help us, but we're good at these, really understood these concepts. But we'd ask, okay, now how do we apply it? They had no idea. So that was my particular gift to not only understand them, but be able to apply them and find ways to apply them to get results. So I was almost uh, 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 had an application ability in that regard, which I, most people who have that, that aptitude for math, uh, can apply it to make and operate things or invent things. I had the, a different kind of aptitude. So I was just, I couldn't help myself when I'd learn a principle. I, I'm going to go apply this and figure out how to get results from it. And so I kept adding them. And over the years, as I did, it helped us more and more, but we, I had over a hundred that expecting everybody to use regularly, <laughs> and so I said, "Okay, I was overwhelming that's everybody, a lot. <laughs> including myself." And so, so I said, "Okay, we got to systematize it." And that's when, in and, and that was many years later. That was because I started down this journey in the in the early '60s, mm. and in 1990, then we we decided we had to codify it. Systematized it, and that's when we created the term market-based management, and 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 built uh, the the five dimensions of of market-based what, what, management.
1: What are, what are briefly the five dimensions, if you don't mind mentioning them? To-
0: yeah, the the well, the five dimensions are are vision, virtue, and talents, knowledge, process, decision rights, and incentives. And I can describe if you want and, and the, and each these, one.
1: And and, the, and these each these each come from what makes Western civilization and a free society work. Is that these is that come
0: right? from the, the 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 principles of of human progress? Yeah, that led to the great enrichment throughout the world when when people started applying them. And and as I say, there are over a hundred we apply. But I I would say at the heart of it. Or at least uh, how we think about the principles in the Declaration of Independence—that is, having a system of of equal rights and mutual benef- mutual benefit, where people succeed by helping others, by helping others improve their lives, and everyone has the opportunity to realize their potential.
1: Let, let, let's let, let's drill in a little bit on mutual benefit. I, th- I think this is really important in today's society. A lot of a lot of the philosophy that's taken over uh, in our culture, maybe starting on our university campuses, is very zero-sum. It's, they think that all relations are about power relations, and it's about one group imposing its will on others. And, and you, you explicitly want to teach people to think not in terms of power relations. This business is not about getting a better deal. It's about creating value together. Uh, do, do, you, do you find that in society there's people who, who approach that differently, and it co- causes problems with you in business?
0: Oh, it's. I mean, this is the biggest problem in the world, and it always has been. This uh, what Nietzsche called and and Victor Franklin called the will to power, and that is uh, this top-down approach. That that because I'm smarter than you, or I want power over you, to approach it that way—a command and control system—and what. What the principles of, of human progress teach, the principles in the Declaration of Independence teach is, no, you don't want power over people. You want to empower people because you want everybody to, to be finding their gifts, as I finally found after 20 years of struggle. We'd like to accelerate, help people accelerate that so it didn't take them so long, but help people find their gift, develop it, and using it to contribute to others, to help people improve their lives. And, and so that is the opposite of this top-down approach that is increasing, and not, not just in government, but we see it in, in business, we see it in, uh, in education, in communities, throughout society. Increasingly, this top-down power over others and what we find it makes people's lives better and improves society, improves well-being, and, and leads to progress is empowering everybody to, contri- to, to contribute. That is going from forcing people to do things, motivating them to find their gift, believe in themselves, have a purpose, and... And contribute.
1: This is what this is what you, we call self actualization, which is the term Maslow coined, right? Aranis. Right. And, and 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 so you find that mutual benefit society lets more people self actualize, and then and, and 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 explain how is that how is that good for your business? Why is that really important for business? Yeah, well, that's
0: critical to to our business because our vi, our vision and and for our business and our started leading our five dimensions is to start with. Uh, what capabilities we have that uh, would would uh, enable us to to do things, create products and services that other people would value. In other words, how do we create value for others, and then where are the best opportunities for that, given our capabilities, and who would the best customers be? That is, it would create the most value for, it, and then they, in a spirit of mutual benefit would want to reward us for that because that would be in their benefit to have us do more of that for Mm. them. And then continually improve and add to those capabilities, which then leads to additional opportunities, which calls for us then to build additional capabilities, so on, in never-ending cycles of improvement Growth and
1: and and mutual benefit. I'm curious. So, do you take this mutual benefit idea, the self-actualization idea, you apply it to business. You've grown. You've grown in business. One of the most successful businessmen in the world now. And you've taken that and you're applying it to philanthropy as well. The last twenty or thirty years. And it, 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 it is is this the same philosophy that you're applying to to, to both sides?
0: It, it is the same. But let let me go back to sure. to that. When, when I started, I said, I was getting going, I said, okay, if I really start applying these ideas, how much can we grow? Mm. And so I projected, I you know, being a math, I, I plotted it all out if we grow this much. And by the time I retire, we will have grown 70-fold, I predicted. And so that was my goal and and so far it's been more than 10,000 fold 10,000 is bigger than more 70 more than 10,000 so <laughs> so it blew by that so <laughs> so so it just shows it shows I mean people say oh you did this no i didn't do it these principles did it mm-hmm. and and when we have applied these principles we've been tremendously successful but but entropy is at work always pulling you down pulling you away from the principles so it it's continual renewal let, let,
1: let's dig into that a little bit and and, and, and it, it is obviously an amazing empirical philosophy you've proven you've proven these principles which is kind of a fun part about business you get to prove you get to prove principles and test right. them and get them better because you what, get real feedback it, which is which, which is what I love about building these things as well uh, i want to dig into that point on entropy is trying to pull apart, because this is a challenge all of us face as we scale businesses. And I, I've scaled some businesses to pretty decent size, but what you've done here is just extraordinary. It's, a, it's a big, one of the biggest businesses in the world. How did you keep the principles in place as you got bigger? Didn't you have bureaucracies and people just ignoring it, and it gets to be so big? How, how do you possibly keep these principles yeah, in place? Yeah,
0: just, just for the audience, in case some of them didn't study a lot of thermodynamics as, as I did. But the second law of thermodynamics, uh, uh, says that, uh, and and I'll I'll take some license here, that that in a closed system entropy is always increasing, and the only way that you can reverse that is by bringing in energy, and and knowledge from the outside. So so what what we do is, okay, based on the principles, we develop practices and models and stuff, and then periodically examine them. How are these given and as circumstances change and our needs for our business change, then they become ingrained these practices, and they're no longer following the underlying principles yeah. so what we do is we we, continually look at the gap between the principles and what our actual practices were. And and we always find, as we do that, that we can greatly improve. And when we get back closer to applying the principles, then we, we have a, a burst of improvement and growth. And then as we slack off, entropy <laughs> pulls us down and we become... Uh, uh, lackadaisical, entitled, all mm-hmm. these things we shouldn't, and then we'll jar ourselves up and and get it back on track.
1: Is it a rule that you're always going to be having some gap and you just... Absolutely. So
0: this, I like it this is my, I'm, I'm CEO, but I'm really in the philosophy department, <laughs> constantly looking for gaps between what we could be doing if we were following the principles and what we are doing. And And you can find them everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then the secret in an organization is to get all of your employees to do that, to fully engage them, to get them all to be self, to to start self actualizing and looking for these gaps and challenging and finding new ways to do things that are better. I mean, this is Schumpeter's idea of of creative destruction.
1: in, In our society, there's sometimes gaps or things that are broken that are impolite to talk about or that become. It's conventional wisdom, not to mention. Does that happen in businesses too, where a gap gets really big as people are afraid to go after it?
0: Oh yeah, no, they think. Well, well, Charles said this. Uh, we we ought to do it this way ten years ago, so we better do that. And and it, as I forget who said it, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to be continually learning, and so that's to keep purging. Old Charles truths. I mean,
1: <laughs> that's I mean, interesting. So some of the biggest dangers are if you said something in a certain direction, people yeah. might be afraid to touch it, but it might now be val- Yeah, violating the And principles. so
0: so we have I mean, uh, th- this is from Karl Popper's science is falsification. The true scientific method is developing a testable proposition and not 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 going around trying to find things support it, but find the flaw in it. Mm-hmm. And any idea I have, I find, okay, what are the key drivers of success in this? Who can really challenge those uh, how we're applying each of those uh drivers of success mm-hmm. and and then so we brainstorm that, they challenge show me show me what's wrong with my idea or how it can be improved, and sometimes, yeah, my idea is no good, and sometimes, but always. We great this process, this challenge process, improve greatly. Improves uh, what I proposed.
1: And, and 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 if and when you succeed in business, one thing I think people get confused by when you succeed in a business and you have Schumpeterian creative destruction. How, how does mutual benefit fit into the framework of of creative destruction? How do you think about those those things?
0: Well, creative dis- destruction is is finding. A better way, and the role of business is to create products and services that people will value more than their op- the, than their alternatives mm-hmm. so so it's all mutual benefit. I mean, for there to be a, tr- a voluntary transaction, both parties have to believe they will benefit. otherwise yep. there won't be a transaction. yep. so to have business, you, uh, and why everybody doesn't think this way? Why people think, oh, I want to maximize my profit. No, you want to figure. You want benefit. to focus on maximizing the value you create for others. And then if they don't reward you for it, well, then you need to find better customers. So, so creative
1: destruction happens when you're not creating value for others. When something's not creating enough value, it's not a better way. It's to not more
0: creative value. destruction. I mean, creative destruction is finding a better way, and a better way yep. is contributing to. To, to human flourishing,
1: perfect. Well, I want I want to pivot on the and take the philanthropy into other parts of the world. Uh, you know, business obviously creates a lot of value, solves a lot of problems. Based on your activities in philanthropy, you clearly believe that business can't solve every problem. There has to be there has to be policy and philanthropic work as well. Is, 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 how, how do you approach that area?
0: You know, the same way. These the the same principles are applied. What well, I mean these. Uh, these principles of human progress apply to individuals. For example, we talk about in business creating virtuous cycles of mutual benefit. Self-actualization is just uh, uh, an individual creating his or her own virtuous cycles of mutual benefit. That's what self-actualization is, and and a society that empowers people. To create, to self-actualize and have meaning in their lives and succeed by contributing is what leads to human progress, leads to innovation, leads to peace, uh, leads to people wanting to help each other. It's what, what Maslow said was the ideal society where what he called center, where people have synergy, where the selfish and unselfish merge. And you you find the way to help yourself is help somebody else.
1: Interesting. Is is there an argument once you once you're really successful in our country, one of the best ways to help ourselves and our families is to help the rest of society to make sure it stays functional and and, and, and does. Oh well.
0: yeah, but it's but it's it's everything. It's to and and the way way you help others is help others improve their lives is you continually work on improving yourself. Because entropy applies to you too. You think you got all the answers, and you close yourself off, and you'll decay. You're going time. to decay. You're and all entropy is an increase in uselessness, <laughs> in waste, and uselessness. So if you
1: feel like you're being really, like you're really useful, and you just stop trying to get better, then you, then you, you then, then you, in then you
0: deteriorate, and then you. I mean, so you need this. You you need, and we all need to to have a purpose. Want to live a life of meaning, and the way we do that, the way we feel good about ourselves and believe in ourselves, is by contributing more and more to helping others.
1: And and so, 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 when you created this philanthropic and policy network, you've you've brought hundreds of families together, and you apply. This to helping skill nonprofits. There's also a policy angle. What, why why are why are there such fierce critics? What are, what are they what are they missing or what don't they understand? Because you obviously have a lot of critics the last last 20 years.
0: Well, I I I as the I forget who said it, but uh, if you if you try to change things, if you want to make enemies, try to change things. Uh, and uh, okay, there, part of it is misunderstanding. Uh, Part of it comes from misunderstanding. Part of it, people uh, rather than have the will uh, to meaning, have a will to power. So what we propose threatens people who want power over others, threatens their power position, Uh, or or they may have a special interest. They may be into corporate welfare, and and we're opposed to corporate welfare, Mm -hmm. Uh, and. Is that undermines equal rights and mutual benefit? So we get that, but 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 what we what we find is that is that these attacks in many ways help us because they call attention to what we're doing, so people That's are true. interested in finding out, and when they find out, uh, they they find that what we're doing is the opposite of what
1: we're attacked for that's true if i if and I, so it
0: attracts more people to what we're doing
1: i first went to i first went to the to your network group 12 years ago after i'd read your books which i, I might not have heard of if you hadn't been being attacked so yeah. that's very that's very true so it it, kind of, it does lead people to discover well, that's a, mis-
0: a mistake we we made for some time we didn't answer and we didn't respond and we found well they are giving us an opportunity we're getting publicity on it mm. so we need to use that as an opportunity to get our ideas out and we find that's the best answer the truth is the best answer but but we've got to get much better at at reaching more people at scaling our ability to to get the I w-
1: I want to get this truth cha- out I want to get this chance to get some wisdom from you on building organizations now in the in the policy and philanthropy realm as well? Because I, you know, I'm building my own policy organizations, very active Cicero Institute. You've, you were behind creating a lot of important organizations in the policy world that have impacted a huge number of people. Can you t- tell me a little bit about organizations you've built and, and lessons you've learned in that area?
0: I think uh, Frederick Douglass said it best and he was referring to the Declaration of Independence. I mean, this, this is something for somebody who's been enslaved and tormented and tortured to have this his kind of belief in the Declaration of Independence. But it was a system of equal rights and mutual benefit and, and, and self-actualizing that he was talking about. He didn't use those, all those terms. But he said, these principles are saving principles. Stand by them. Be true to them in all occasions, in all places, against all foes, against uh, all foes at whatever cost. And that's what we need to do, because with all the pressure, all from top-down organizations, people pushing power over others, uh, this is the temptation to just go with the flow. So we've got to have... And you're and and you see uh, philanthropies doing that just okay whatever's current in choice whatever's politically correct we we'll do that and a lot of that is destructive and so you've got to you've got to dedicate yourself as he said to these principles and stand by them and be true to them whatever the cost and that's the first thing for any philanthropic or social change organization to do these principles of of human progress of human fulfillment empowering the individual so every individual
1: can have a life of meaning and contribute and 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 what have you learned about the governance of these organizations if you were going to help create some of the ones you created 20 30 40 years ago again would you have done governance differently would you would you have changed how you how you put them together
0: well I, I yes, I would uh, I would make sure that the govern the people on the governing body are really dedicated to to the values. To to these underlying principles and had the courage
1: of Frederick Douglass. is it seems tough to find people these days with that sort of courage. It is, because there's so much pressure. But
0: but That's... you find if you do and you live up to, to these ideals uh, you feel a lot better about yourself does,
1: does it seem like there 's not as much courage today as there was when you were when you were a kid in terms of in terms of our leaders in terms of the leaders of these organizations I, I think there 's more pressure today on people, whether there 's less
0: courage or there 's more pressure, but more courage is needed today, I would say that with this increasing movement toward power over
1: people this top-down approach that makes sense i want to ask two more topics before we finish one just quickly i, I would I'd love to ask you a little bit about technology investing I, you yeah. know is something i spent a lot of my time well, on yeah your son chase has been doing a lot of amazing investments and uh, you in recently as you guys have, have, have seems to have pivoted into i guess kdt Coke disruptive technologies and you've started investing billions of dollars into the technology world and applying it to your own business can you tell me a little bit about how that came about and how you're thinking about that
0: yeah it's, uh we really started on that about 10 or so years ago as we 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 saw uh, new headwinds and tailwinds being created and and so our 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 approach to vision like everybody okay build find what capabilities you have and let's grow and do new things if you have headwinds you may not want to be doing that. I mean, your your vision may need to be, to, to do less, but do it better so you can be the last one standing in these areas and do the best job of, of continuing to contribute value as 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 there's decline in that. So, uh, so what we did is okay. L- looked at okay. Why? Uh, why, why is there so much change now? Well, it's, it's driven by technology, application of technology. It's driven by concern over climate. It's driven by change in politics. And then, and then later, it was additional changes by COVID, which not only caused policy changes— and, and much more top-down, mm-hmm. uh, but it cha- caused culture changes. So all this affects the business. Uh, so we needed to, to, uh, to uh, bring in technology to help us apply our principles better, to better empower our people to better understand what's going on and what, others would, what our customers' and other constituencies value so we could continue to, to improve our ability to create value. So, so it started really uh, internally. Okay, uh, let's go find let's, – let's build a network, a republic of science – of Technology, build networks so we find and bring these in so on enterprise software and enterprise management uh, uh, in our trading to build more technology in that and then then we bought uh, molex uh, and 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 we started investing in technology companies and and uh, and and using much more technology ourselves, and then we started or Chase started uh, Coke disruptive technologies, and then more recently we've uh, we've we've started another one that deals with a larger public companies or invests in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coke strategic platforms. So we've been in the last. Uh, Half a dozen years or so, we've invested over thirty billion in technology in all these forms.
1: Is there any is there any particular innovation or technology that excites you most for the business or for our country that that that, that you're seeing right now?
0: Yeah, businesses that are, are technologies that that best uh, help people improve their lives. So the so the key it isn't technology it's itself; it's using technology. So what we when we use technology internally it's to help our people self-actualize. It's, some people use it to control them. Okay, how fast are you doing this operation? And we're going to be measuring that. And then we're saying, no, you got to do it faster because this person can do it faster. And this, you got to do this technique. You don't, you
1: don't like doing that. You, don't, you, have, no. you, you do measure some things like that, no?
0: Well, but, but we do it to empower people. We give people the – well, first of all, we get people in a role that fits their aptitude – and, and their passion, and we apply the Division of Labor by Comparative Advantage. And we, every supervisor's first job is helping their employees self, self-actualize. And the way you do that is you you create the division of labor by comparative advantage. Get everybody in a role that fits them, their passion. They get passionate about. It. Then you give them the the mentoring and the tools and the technology to help them become more entrepreneurial. And when we get that right, the innovations. I mean, people are worried, oh, you're left behind these technologies. No, we find. We get many of our best ideas, particularly in operations, from operators or mechanics and they, they, they because they become aware of this, oh, we can use this technology, and we can, here, we'll do it this way. Mm-hmm. When you empower them and you, you charge them with this to challenge and come up with ideas, and whatever we're doing can be do it better, and we've got to do this to survive and grow, then they get turned on. And they right. say, wow, I didn't know what you meant by self Actually, but now my job's fun rather than boring as hell.
1: I love it. So you're you're excited when the technology empowers people in, in, oh, and oh yeah, them.
0: oh that's a great. When I hear these yeah. stories of of people who are, uh, hourly workers come up with these great ideas, I mean that's that's what I've been working for for the last sixty years, and now technology is really helping us do it.
1: That's awesome. That's a lot of what we focus on in Silicon Valley too is augmenting people versus replacing them and, and making making them lifting them up.
0: And then the same thing can can be if 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 policies will let it happen in in uh, in healthcare, telemedicine, and all the other technologies, accelerate it rather than have policies hold it back. Policies should be encouraging in education rather than top down one size fits all. The technologies there to. To, to give everybody the, the opportunity to discover their aptitudes, not take 20 years to find them like it did me, but find them quickly and learn and be excited about and want to learn and improve and and become self-actualized.
1: Well, that's, that's, that's an awesome optimistic note. You know, we started the American Optimists to try to push back on the wave of cynicism facing our country and we talked about it. we're very divided it's tougher to have courage to stick to your principles right now so, um, so what, what gives you hope for the future it sounds like you're excited about how technology is helping people self-actualize yeah. better
0: well it's just it, it's going back to the principles and the declaration of independence all we've got to do is move toward a society of e- truly equal rights which we've never truly had no society has truly had it. equal rights and mutual benefit where people succeed by helping others improve their lives, and everybody has the opportunity to realize their potential and have all the laws based on those those principles and and encourage everybody to be the best them they can be and succeed by helping others. And so it's what Maslow called becoming contribution-motivated. So have everybody working towards helping everybody be contribution motivated rather than negatively motivated or deficiency motivated or motivated
1: to get power or pleasure or control people. Well, Charles, thank you for all you've done for our country. And we need the last question, what do, you, what do you want your legacy to be in America?
0: Well, I, I mean, I want... Uh, not my legacy, but I want the country to live up to its promise for everybody to fully benefit per the principles of the Declaration of Independence, a system of equal rights and mutual benefit. Thanks for joining American Optimist. Thank you. Thanks for what you're doing too, Joe. Appreciate it.